0: Hey, everyone. Just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and e-books. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. Padre Pio once said, God absolutely cannot reject the sincere desire to love him. Welcome to the 117th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP. If you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that even when we're feeling angry at God for our present circumstances and can't even find the desire to turn to Him in prayer, He understands and He knows and accepts our desire to love Him even if it wavers from time to time. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mention. (laughs) One common theme that comes up when you talk to people about accessing mental health care is that sometimes it seems downright impossible to access mental health care. Why is that? We're going to take a look at the Washington Post to get us started. It's been difficult to find mental health counseling in much of the United States for years, long before the coronavirus pandemic began. But now, after two years of unrelenting stress, turmoil, and grief, many people seeking help are confronting a system at or beyond capacity. It's inadequacy for this moment plainly exposed. It's even more difficult to find specialized care for children or those with lower income. Assistance of any kind is in short supply in rural areas, where all health care choices are more limited than they are for residents of cities and suburbia. Those hoping to find black or Latina therapists face even more limited options. When the American Psychological Association surveyed its members last fall, it found a surge in demand and new referrals, particularly for anxiety, depressive, and trauma related disorders. Yet 65% of the more than 1,100 psychologists who responded said they had no capacity for new patients, and 68% said that their wait lists were longer than they were in 2020. In interviews, therapists and experts cited the obvious causes of the backlog the psychological and emotional toll of long term disruption during the pandemic, prolonged uncertainty about the future, fear of infection, financial stress from lost jobs, grief over the death of loved ones, loss of social interaction, and especially for children, the unnatural circumstance of isolation at home. But they also noted other factors. People who might never have sought therapy are now more willing to consider it in the wake of the pandemic, led by a younger generation that sees less stigma in acknowledging mental illness. So back to me, the best hope we have as a society is to encourage people who may be interested in mental health to get into the field to help expand capacity, especially individuals of color who may be interested in those who speak languages other than English. As an individual seeking treatment, we have to also consider that the best path to getting connected might be simply reaching out to our primary care doctor for a referral or calling our local mental health access line for connection. Here in California, there's a requirement that individuals are seen within 10 days of the referral or their request for services. And in the private therapy world where you pay out of pocket, the same requirements don't exist. And remember, you can get just as good care from an intern who's under the supervision of a licensed therapist as you can from someone with seemingly a whole bunch of experience. And this is because the relationship is really the key and someone who is brand new to the field might actually be the best fit for you and have the shortest wait. So each episode I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Requests and today I'm going to introduce you to Saint John Ogilvie. (laughs) in 1580 in Scotland John was the eldest son of a respected Calvinist and was sent to be educated on the continent when he was 12 years old he was educated at a number of Catholic establishments and in spite of all that was going on with religion in Europe at the time he decided to become Catholic at the age of 17 joined the Jesuits two years later and was ordained a priest in 1613 we'll look to Franciscan media for more John met two Jesuits who just returned from Scotland after suffering arrest and imprisonment they saw little hope for the successful work there in view of the tightening of the penal laws, but a fire a fire had been lit within John, and for the next two and a half years, he pleaded to be placed there as a missionary. Sent by his superiors, he secretly entered Scotland, posing as a horse trader or a soldier returning from the wars in Europe. He, he warmed to the task before him and had some success in making converts and and in secretly serving Scottish Catholics. But he was soon betrayed, arrested, and brought before the court. His trial dragged on until he'd been without food for 26 hours. He was imprisoned and deprived of sleep. For eight days and nights, he was dragged around, prodded with sharp sticks. His hair was pulled out. Still, he refused to reveal the names of Catholics or to acknowledge the jurisdiction of the king in spiritual affairs. He underwent a second and third trial, but held firm. At his final trial, he assured the judges, quote, in all that concerns the king, I will be slavishly obedient. If any attack against his temporal power, I will shed my last drop of blood for him. But in the things of spiritual jurisdiction, which a king unjustly seizes, I cannot and must not obey. Condemned to death as a traitor, he was faithful to the end. Even when on the scaffold, he was, arrest- he was offered his freedom and a fine life. If he would just deny his faith, His courage in prison and his martyrdom was reported throughout Scotland, and he became the first Scottish saint since 1250. What an incredible life of conversion, suffering, imprisonment, and everything else you can think of, and John is now standing before the throne of God, ready to intercede for us in all our needs. And we like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Holy Spirit, you gave St. John Ogilvie light to know your truth, wisdom to defend it, and courage to die for it. Through his prayers and example, bring our country into the unity and peace of Christ's kingdom. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Alex gets us started, would love for you to cover how we should react to mental health on social media a la the Kanye debacle. Well, let's start by praying for those who are under the intense spotlight of celebrity and have the unfortunate circumstance of having their mental health symptoms discussed by the public for kindness, compassion, and healing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. We're going to start with a piece written by a writer who experiences bipolar disorder over at Vox to get some context. Crazy is a word that's not going to be used loosely in the future. Understand that this is actually a condition that people can end up in, be born into, driven into, and go in and out of. It's been two years since Kanye West said this in a Forbes interview, but people are still calling him crazy and everything in between, unhinged, insane, psychotic. These are the terms I've seen used to describe him during the past few weeks. When news spread of details of the legal separation between him and Kim Kardashian, I braced myself each day for social media reactions to the deepening chasm between them. His recent actions have elicited strong criticism from his fans and detractors alike, Through sporadic and profuse posts online, he's been attempting to get the mother of his four children back into his life. While it may be a divorce between the two of the most famous American celebrities of the past few decades, it's still just that, a divorce. Kardashian and West are used to the spotlight, but this very intimate matter is playing out in an extremely public and unusual way. The lack of privacy is especially concerning given the fact that he revealed in 2018 that he lives with a mental illness, bipolar disorder bipolar disorder consists of two contrasting ends of a mood spectrum mania and depression mania is an unstable mental state described by the national alliance on mental illness as having telltale symptoms including grandiosity over optimism or impaired judgment it can also include hallucinations and delusions depression on the other hand is described as a state of persistent low mood and a decrease in energy and activity while it's possible to flip between mania and depression during short periods of time an occurrence called rapid cycling those diagnosed with bipolar disorder can stay in the same states for months or years at a time. There were celebrities who came before Kanye who lived with bipolar disorder. The late actress Carrie Fisher spoke at length during her life about the need to destigmatize mental illness, and it's just one of the many public figures who face this challenging nature of bipolarity. While it's important to acknowledge his predecessors in this regard, we've yet to see someone as prominent as Kanye use social media in the midst of a manic episode. When I see people discuss Kanye using intentionally disparaging tones and language, it gives me pause. It makes me wonder what the difference is between us. And besides the millions of dollars in mini Grammy Awards, and it makes me question whether the support I've received has been genuine. My, my goal is not to be the person who defends him at every turn. I don't always agree with his actions, so that's a role I can't commit to. What I am here to do is make certain that nobody with this condition, including one of the most famous people on the planet, feels alone. So back to me, that's pretty powerful. I think this take about the situation is so important for us to to hear and to realize. We should be responding to public figures experiencing mental health symptoms with compassion, prayers, that they can get the access and the help that they need, and with positive and hopeful language around their experience and their future. We should avoid negative language, making them out to be someone beyond hope, or otherwise making comments that make it sound like their condition is something that makes them other rather than one of our sisters and brothers. This is so important because people all around us who are experiencing similar mental health conditions need our support, need our compassion, and need our encouragement. And this not only includes uh, the way that we help them and walk with them, but also how we view and talk about news centered around others experiencing these mental health conditions. It matters. How we talk about these issues matter. How we think about these issues matter. And we need to remember that a negative comment about Kanye and his experience could lead to someone holding their own experience in out of concerns about stigma or people thinking negatively about them. It can lead to people avoiding treatment and continued suffering when help is available. So let's commit to being the bright light of hope for those experiencing mental illness. Katie is up next. I'm always ready for more hot takes on vocation and mental illness, not letting people in the door for priesthood and religious life. Well, let's start by praying for everyone working through a call to a vocation alongside mental health symptoms, for compassion and understanding for those walking alongside them through the discernment process, and for a church that welcomes all of us with all our baggage, all our past, and all our everything. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, I hope I don't disappoint you when I say the older I get, the less I'm inclined to engage in hot takes. However, I think there's still a lot to be said on this topic, even with a more balanced approach. So let me start by saying that I pray for a church that welcomes all of us, regardless of our mental health experiences, regardless of our substance use histories, regardless of anything else possible. A church that welcomes us, helps us feel like sisters and brothers walking through the difficult valleys of life with a community all walking along each alongside each other toward the same goal and i long for a church that welcomes all of us in that manner in relation to our seeking out what vocation god is calling us to This especially includes religious life, where I've seen what seems like a lot of hesitancy toward welcoming those of us with mental health symptoms or histories of taking medication or even being diagnosed after a psychological assessment, even though we've had no experience with mental health treatment in the past and don't agree with the assessment. I've seen a lot of pain and suffering and struggle with people being turned away during the discernment process because of all of that. And I want to be clear that if someone is being turned away simply for that reason, I think there's a lot of stigma associated with that approach. A lot of misunderstanding about what mental illness is and what people with mental illness are capable of accomplishing when working alongside helping professionals. And I hate that stigma and response with every ounce of my being. And... And there are certain things about religious life, about community life, that can be difficult for many of us experiencing mental health symptoms. And a good spiritual director or vocations director needs to consider that when taking a look at a candidate, postulant, novice, etc. They need to understand and make an assessment with the help of prayer and determination on if religious life and community life will work for each individual person if it's what they're actually being called to, and how the community will be impacted by each person they admit, both positively and negatively. This isn't only related to mental illness, but to our personalities, our histories, our holistic selves. And I think it's easy for us to stand on the outside and say, I can't believe a religious order would turn someone away because they take medication for depression. When in reality, the decision is much deeper than that, much more caring than that. And taking a lot of things into account, not just the one that so obviously sticks out to us. So I want to give religious orders the benefit of the doubt and assume the best while at the same time standing up and fighting for a church that is welcoming and inclusive and open to those of us with mental health symptoms, finding our vocation, and being allowed to answer the call God is sending our way. I hope that was helpful emily wraps us up can mental health be treated in the same way as a physical sickness in regards to mass attendance for example if i'm having a panic attack and miss mass because of it is that the same as missing mass because of the flu i understand you're not a priest or bishop and can't speak to this uh, to some extent but can you talk a little bit more about this let's start by praying for emily for everyone experiencing mental health symptoms that keep them from mass for self-forgiveness for peace and for healing so that they can get back to mass when they're able Amen. I'm so glad you asked this question. I think it's so important for us to get this out into the open and help people who feel guilty or ashamed about missing Mass because of their mental health symptoms to realize they have nothing to feel guilty or ashamed about. Paragraph 2181 of the Catechism states, The Sunday Eucharist is the foundation and confirmation of all Christian practices. For this reason, the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation unless excused for a serious reason. For example, illness the care of infants. Those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. Next, the Code of Canon Law number 1248 states, If participation in the Eucharistic celebration becomes impossible because of the absence of a sacred minister or for another grave cause, it is strongly recommended that the faithful take part in a liturgy of the Word if such a liturgy is celebrated in a parish church or other sacred place, according to the prescripts of the diocesan bishop, or or that they devote themselves to prayer for a suitable time alone as a family or, as the occasion permits, in groups of families. Another note from catholicphilly.com, writer Father Kenneth Doyle has some important things here. He was asked about agoraphobia being a valid reason for missing mass. He said, this experience can justify one's absence from Mass, as certainly as would a high fever or contagious cold. If it is more comfortable for you to pray in a side chapel, by all means do that. Or, if sometimes you find it necessary simply to stay home and pray, do that. I credit you for your desire to share in the Eucharist to the extent you're able. So back to me, it's interesting, right? Because we all question this since like a panic attack is not contagious the way a cold is. But what if we were having a heart attack? We clearly couldn't go to Mass and none of us would question it, even though a heart attack and a bunch of other difficult physical health conditions that might keep us home aren't contagious either. So yes, while I'm not a priest or a bishop or an expert on this, on this matter, I think it's safe to say that one, missing Mass for mental health concerns is just just as valid as missing mass for physical health concerns. And two, God understands why we're missing mass when we can't make it because of our mental health. He doesn't judge us. He loves us. He gets it. And he's patient with us. Let his love and mercy wash over you and assure you that all is well until you're able to return. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Tiffna.